This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Right to Lehaskin at right point, Klingberg shoots, blocked, it's out of the zone, it's in the neutral zone, eight seconds left, Buckley go to after it, time ticks down, the Lightning win the Stanley Cup, they have reached the top of the mountain, they are the Stanley Cup champs. Wow. All I can say is, wow, what a job by these guys. When is it considered the appropriate time to call something a rivalry? You're going to hear a lot about this really the next five days. The Lightning take on the Panthers tonight on the road. It's what, three times in five days these two teams are going at it. And if you look in the standings, both teams are doing very, very well. Both in a playoff position and both teams may be poised to make the playoffs. Certainly here in Tampa Bay, we think that's going to happen with the Florida Panthers. We're just not sure. But like we told you before when it comes to the Lightning and some of the teams they played so far, how about the Florida Panthers? This comes from Elliot Friedman from 31 Thoughts. If he's seeing the same thing we're seeing, you know the Panthers are looking at the next few games and saying, all right, we need to compete with the big boys and we need to beat them. Elliot says the Panthers are 7-1-2. and two. They've overcome postponements due to breakouts on other teams and the fact that their starting goaltender had his preseason preparation derailed by covid they didn't allow the Keith Yano situation to cause a meltdown. They've beaten teams they're supposed to beat. You can't ask for a better performance. He says, now we find out what we've got here. The next 11 feature three games with Carolina, Dallas, and Tampa. Now, sure, you could say the same thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning. We talked about that yesterday. By the way, Dave Michigan will be with us tomorrow back in the saddle. And, of course, he'll be calling the game tonight. We talked about the Lightning schedule. Yeah, you know, if you kind of look at it, all right, they're beating up on the teams they're supposed to beat. I'm not going to take anything away from them. That's what you're supposed to do. If you want to get into the playoffs, you've got to beat Detroit and Nashville multiple times. And that's what the Lightning have done. But to their credit, Florida's done the same thing. The difference is, when you take a look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, they get the benefit of the doubt because of what they've done, not only this year, but last year and the last few. Florida's track record isn't great. In fact, they've been a disappointment, you can make the case. So when we talk about rivalries, a lot of people really want these two teams to have that rivalry. It makes a lot of sense. Geographically, it's the biggest reason. They compete in the same division, and that's all beneficial. But it doesn't mean anything if Florida's not good. I mean, who would you say is Tampa Bay's biggest rival over the last couple of years? You could say it's Boston. You could say it's Washington. Heck, it was probably even Detroit until Detroit really won south. Do the Florida Panthers come to mind when you talk about rivalry with the Tampa Bay Lightning? Absolutely not. How does that change? Well, the start, Florida has to keep winning, which they're doing. 
But then these two teams have to meet in the playoffs a few times. That's where rivalries are created. Understand that. Yes, geographically, it's nice. We can sit here and talk about the battle of Florida or whatever you want to call it between these two teams, but it really doesn't make that much difference if Florida continues to be mediocre. They're hoping this year is the start of something different. Would the NHL benefit from the Florida Panthers being Tampa Bay's biggest rival? Probably. can't hurt. But I'm curious, when you look at the Florida Panthers and you talk about rivalries, where do they rank at Greg Lanelli? I got to be honest with you. I don't know if I even have it in my top five. When the Florida Panthers are on the schedule, do you get excited? Maybe now you do because they're winning games. But was this something that excited you before? I don't think so. But you let me know. At Greg Lanelli, at Bolts Radio, Steve Ersick producing. I want to get Steve's thoughts on this as well. And we are having George Richards come on in about 10, 15 minutes to talk about the Florida Panthers. Carter Verhage is back. Carter Verhage is turning out to be a very good player for the Panthers. Again, you have to take it with a grain of salt with the competition that they're playing, but you have to perform. He, along with Patrick Hornfist, have given that team a much-needed lift. Heck, Brett Conley's not even playing anymore. That's a problem for them. But Carter Verhage, to his credit, took a chance, wanted to find a place to play, and the Panthers have given him that opportunity. A lot of people want to make the comparison to Jonathan Marcheseau, and I understand that. Both very good offensive players, both needed an opportunity to play, and both weren't going to get that with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Verhage is playing with skilled players, and this is always the question we have when younger guys come up on this Lightning team who are considered top six to play in a bottom six. What type of production do you give? And some guys fizzle out because they can't make that adjustment. Marcheseau did when he was with the Lightning and parlayed that into a very nice NHL career so far. Verhage wanted more of an opportunity but did well when he played with the Lightning to get that chance. And now that he got that chance, he's proving that he is a legitimate top six at least early on in the season. I don't blame the Lightning for not being able to keep Verhege. You can't keep everybody. We've had this conversation before, and there are going to be some calculated decisions organizations have to make when it comes to which prospect do they keep and which prospect do they get rid of. When you talk about the Lightning, the salary cap is a real problem, and that is where you have to identify talent. Did they identify the right player and choose to let go? The right player? I don't know. Time will tell. I think with the Verhage case, you could have made a strong argument that he should have been the one remaining a Tampa Bay Lightning player and that maybe they moved on from somebody else. But you're not going to be perfect. And I think the way Matthew Joseph is playing certainly has made the loss of Verhage not as great, if that's what you believe. I'm not sure it really came down to Joseph or Verhage, but... You understand contracts and, and younger players and guys develop at different rates. I don't know if Joseph has the upside as Verhage. But then again, Joseph is a guy who, if he contributes the way he's contributing, 
is going to find a place on this Lightning's team. And if he wins championships and helps them do that, then so be it. Let me bring in Steve Ersnick, our producer. I want to get Steve's thoughts on this. Steve, you've been around sports a long time, different markets. You've seen different rivalries. Oftentimes, I think the playoffs expedite that rivalry emotion, whether it's with the teams or the fan base. When you look at the Florida Panthers, do you get the sense rivalry, or do you feel like this still has a ways to go? Because I, I, I think it, it does for me. I think it depends on which side you're on at this point. I think from the Lightning's perspective, Florida's not really a rival. Uh, they're a division foe. And, and you know, this today is going to mark just the fifth time that they're going to meet as the top two teams in their division in history. Good stat. Um, last time they met twice in 16, and then the other two times were back in 2004. I, I think from Florida's perspective, it's a bigger rival in, in, in the regards that the Lightning have been the class of the NHL for the last few years. So it, maybe rivalry is not the right thing, but it, it, you know the Lightning are always a measuring stick game for teams. Because they've been so good for the last, really five six seasons, but the last you know two to three particularly, regular season wise, they've been dominant. And so every team that the Lightning faces, the other team that's kind of your measuring stick game. We know the Lightning's, you know, tremendous on offense. They have one of the best goaltenders and one of the best defensemen in the world. And so you know teams, you kind of measure yourself against that. So maybe for Florida, it's it's a rival may be the wrong word there, but it's it's more of a, you know, circle this game on the calendar type deal. Um, every, we want to know where we're at. Now, Yeah, this season may be the year that they finally meet in the playoffs. You know, I mean, that's the thing. They've never met in the playoffs. And we know that's where, look, that's where rivalries start in high. That's where Detroit and be. Tampa Bay got really chippy back in 2015 and 16. And, and those were two great first-round series between the two teams. Um, you know, the, the year that the lightning, you know, went to the cup in 15, they were down two games to one and trailing in game four. Yep. And, you know, they come back to win that game in overtime and, and that saves that series. Probably if they go down three, one, they probably don't win that series and don't go on that great cup run, which they end up losing to Chicago in six in the final. So if they can finally meet in the playoffs and we know that it's division foes for the first two rounds of the playoffs. You know, if they finish one two, they won't meet in the first round. But they'll meet they almost met a couple years ago, and then the Panthers got upset by the Islanders in the playoffs. And so they didn't meet they didn't meet right. in the playoffs. But if they meet in the playoffs, I think it becomes a rival. I think it would help hockey in the state if it does. Um, assuming anybody goes to the games at sunrise, correct? Well, sure. But but even just the interest of, in hockey. Um, you know, it's kind of the battle of Florida in this. And and if there are fans in the stands, the fans can go back and forth. And, and be at both games during the playoffs, potentially. I do want to ask George about that, too, because, you know, Florida is one of the, the handful of teams mm -hmm. that is allowing attendance. I'm curious what that atmosphere is like. And I didn't realize the strong <laughs> lightning connection, Steve, to this roster. You've got Carter Verhege. Mm -hmm. You've got Anton Strawman. Yep. Did you know Radko Gudis is on this team? <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> and Brett Conley. So you've got a little bit of a lightning connection. Now, obviously, Conley and Gudis kind of left before things got really good for this Lightning team. But still, they mm -hmm. were part of the process, the turnaround. Absolutely. When we talk about Tampa Bay and where they are right now. So, I, look, if you can't beat them, start acquiring some of those players. And mm -hmm. I, I actually like the Panthers team. I think especially their top six is very, very good. I mean, Barkoff, everybody talks about him being one of the two best 
or best two-way players in the game. Huberto has always been fantastic. Uh, I think for Hagee adds an interesting mix mm-hmm. because a, a lot of people think, Steve, they know what they have in him, but you've got to always do it, I, I think, mm-hmm. to prove people that's who you are. The high-end talent of Verhege was always that, look, he could be a top-six guy if given a right opportunity. And it looks like, again, early, mm-hmm. he's doing that. Well, and, and you have to be careful, too, in saying, did the Lightning you know, let Verhege go and keep somebody else instead? And, and For instance, whether it's Matthew Joseph or whether it's Mitchell Stevens, that Verhege is playing in a top-six role in Florida. His stats are going to look better. If not, he shouldn't be in a top-six role. Sure. Compared to Joseph, who currently is playing on the fourth line, although we've seen him play on the second and the third line already this year, or Mitchell Stevens, who's been the center of the fourth line when, when healthy. You know, their stats are – you can't just compare stats to stats in that regard because those guys aren't going to be in a top-six role on this team at this time because you've got Stamkos and Palat and Point and Sorelli and Kalorn and Tyler Johnson, and those guys aren't going to crack that top six when the Lightning's healthy. If you know injuries come into play, and then Joseph or Stevens or anybody moves up, then you then it's a more. If you're just going to compare stats to stats, you can then say you know compare it to Verhage better. But Verhage should perform better in the top six role next to Barkov in Florida than he would on a fourth line in, in Tampa Bay. Well, and what I think separated Verhage a bit, and this is maybe the better comparison, mm-hmm. is that he actually did produce last year for mm-hmm. the Lightning mm-hmm. in that third and fourth line. Yes, he did role. And I think that's what people want to see from Joseph. So, for instance, Joseph, I think, is on that that path of, I don't want to say what doing Verhege, what Verhege did exactly last year, but he is starting to put up points. I think that's what they want to see from Volkov. And I think to a lesser extent, Mitchell Stevens, too. Mitchell Stevens, when he comes back, whatever role he has, Steve, we know about the faceoff. That's going to be a staple of his game. But you can't just win faceoffs anymore in this league and mm-hmm. not do much else. Mm-hmm. You've got to contribute a little bit offensively. And to Verhage's credit, and it's the reason why Florida brought him in, he showed enough offensively to be given that shot in a top six. And I think that's the first step. And I think that's what Joseph is doing right now. He's showing you, listen, mm-hmm. this is my role. I have to start putting up some points and doing some other things to get some attention. And that if, if Joseph ends up being a top six guy down the road, you know what? You can look to this year. You can look to maybe his rookie year and say, you know what? When you had a lesser role, you were able to perform, and now we trust you with a bigger role, and then let's kind of see how things play out. But to Verhege's credit, Steve, I thought last year got off to a slow start. Towards the end, started to play much better. I would agree completely. And the other thing about Joseph to remember this season is while he's played on the second and third line for you know a, a night or two here, he's also learning a new position, essentially. I mean, he played center yeah. in juniors. But he hasn't in the AHL. He hasn't in the NHL. And he's learning to play center. And he's doing it very well for the fourth line. Um, you know, and, and, and I think you have to give him a lot of credit. And, and don't forget, it's easy for for us to sit there and say they should have kept Verhage. And maybe they should have. And Verhage chose to go to Florida. You know, and, and probably because he had a shot to play in a higher role there. Kind of like Jonathan Marsha show did a few years ago. Sure. Um, the Lightning wanted to keep him, but he chose to go to Florida because he was going to have a better opportunity to play higher up in the lineup. Uh, understandable from a, from a career standpoint, but you know, Joseph with you remember he was sent down to the minors for a good bit of last year. The first half of the year was pretty much up with the Lightning, then went down to to AHL and and worked on his game there, and then he was with the team throughout the whole bubble, you know, for the two months. 
And, you know, the Lightning as an organization got to see his work ethic and how he improved his game and what he was doing. And so, you know, my guess is they felt very comfortable that if if Verhege left, that Joseph was going to be better and, and had, had taken what they wanted him to work on and was really working on it. And they got to see that every day in the bubble. We didn't because yep. he wasn't playing in the games up there. But he was working there, and, and you know they could see in Syracuse and then in the bubble how his game was progressing and how much better he was getting, and we're seeing it on the ice this year. At Greg Linelli at Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you certainly can. Talking about Carter Verhege and the rivalry with the Florida Panthers. What are your thoughts on that? Do you feel like it is a rivalry now? And if Florida gets going and starts to be competitive – does this become a Tampa Bay's most heated rival? I think it's going to take some time, but there is certainly that potential for it to happen. We'll talk to George Richards coming up next. And George has covered the Florida Panthers for a long time, right now covering them for FloridaHockeyNow.com. We'll ask him about Verhage, what's been the turnaround. Is this Florida Panthers team legitimate? And some other news and notes around the National you know, Hockey League. You know what's missing well. from this as a rival, too? Tell me. If you think back to some of the who we think of the, the Lightning's biggest rivals, Detroit, Boston, Washington, who's the bad guy in Florida? Who's the Brad Marchand? Yeah. The Justin Abdelkader? The Tom Wilson? You know, we haven't, we haven't seen that, that we're, you know, who's that guy that draws the ire? And we haven't seen it now. They're going to play eight times this year. They might be the top two teams in the division as they play each eight, eight times. We it, we may start to see something develop this year. In that maybe regard. it's Radko Gudis. Maybe it How is cheap. He is, but Who knows? you know. But sometimes sometimes you got to have that that heel. Yeah, you got to have that. You know, the rat, the Tom Wilson, uh, you know, Justin Abdicator and Brian Boyle doing the chicken dance to him. Beautiful. You know, those kind of things help fuel rivalries too. And and. Playing eight times this year and presumably maybe the best two teams in the division, that can definitely yeah. help. That's a good point. Maybe it's Aaron Ekblad. Oh, we'll get Phil's thoughts on that when uh, we talk more about that during the end game. He's a heck of a player. And, uh, he, he is a little inside, uh, little inside joke, which is always fun. Maybe one day we'll reveal all of the inside takes here on Bolts Radio. All right, let's get to George. When we return, glad you're with us right here on Lightning Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Getting you set for Lightning and Panthers tonight, 7 o'clock start. Pre-game's going to start at 6 with Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios. They'll go a half hour, and then I'll get you set for the network pre-game show. And then, of course, Dave Mishkin will have the call and... It's exactly what we all want tonight. Hopefully it's a very competitive game. Both teams, the Panthers and Lightning, come in playing very well. And let's talk about it with our good friend, George Richards. He covers the Panthers for FloridaHockeyNow.com. And, George, great to be with you. And we've got uh, some competitive hockey, it looks like, here early on between these two teams. It hasn't always been the case, but it's it's nice to see, isn't it? Yeah, it, it definitely hasn't always been the case. But, uh, yeah, lately, uh, you know. Tampa Bay's owned the series, but the games have been pretty good. I mean, you know, aside from, you know, you know, a couple blowouts here or there, they're always fun games. So it'll be uh, it should be a fun couple days of hockey here in the Sunshine State. 
George, we were talking about this in the earlier segment about rivalries, and I don't think the NHL would love nothing more than Tampa Bay and Florida to have something like that. I mean, what is it going to take, in your opinion, for these two teams to get that rivalry that so many people wanted? Is it just meeting in the playoffs routinely and having some pretty passionate games, or can you do it in the regular season as well without meeting in the playoffs? Well, I don't, you know, you know, Torts always said, you know, we always used to ask Torts, you know, about that. And he was like, ah, the Panthers, whatever, you know, let, let's play him in the playoffs and then that'll happen. And, and I think everybody just kind of took that cue. But I, I, you do see a little different intensity when when the two teams play. I mean, when you're watching the games live, I mean, it is it does feel different than when, you know, the Panthers are playing, you know, Dallas or something. So. Um, I think there is a something there, but yeah, they need to play in the playoffs. It's hard to believe that these two teams who played each other more times than any others um, in their history haven't been to the playoffs against each other, and they've come close a couple times. Um, but yeah, I think just having a, a cross-state hockey rivalry would be great. I think you know you look at what's going on with. You know, over the last twenty years, I mean, it's been it's been building up for years. You know, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, and and you know when they play on you know on March third or something, and you know everybody wants to watch that game because it's it's ingrained. It's just a great rivalry, and I think Tampa and Florida could do that. Um, but again, it's going to take time, um, and it, and it's going to take some playoff games. They gotten off, meaning the Florida Panthers, to a good start. George, they're beating the teams you could say they're supposed to beat, but that's okay. That's how you get into the playoffs. What do you make of their start? What has impressed you the most? And maybe why do you think what they've done early on is something that can can be uh, withstood here over the course of time? I, I think, yeah, you, you look at their start, they've gotten points and all but, what, one game? Um, and that was, you know, to Detroit. And that was just, you know, one of those games where Detroit played fantastic. It looked like the Panthers were going to have an opportunity to to, 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 to to at least tie the game and maybe get a point out of that one, too. And then it just didn't happen. But they were able to, to, to bank some points. And that's what you've got to do. I think if you look at these standings, it seems like every game – is a three-point game, right? I mean, every game is going to overtime. Every game is going to shootout. And, you know, the one good thing is you don't have to watch anybody else. You're just watching your own division. Top four teams go. You don't have to worry about the the Islanders and the Rangers and what are they doing tonight, in, in the, you know, for the wild card. Um, so for Florida, I think, you know, Tampa Bay, we know Tampa Bay is going to make the playoffs. There's no doubt about it. But for the Panthers, I think they're battling with, with Columbus, um, you know, for that fourth spot. And they've got some points right now and they've got some games in hand. So um, I, I said at the beginning of the year, if the Panthers could just improve a little bit against Columbus, against Tampa Bay, especially, they're going to be fine. So I, I think for Florida, when, you know, you look at them going against Tampa Bay Lightning, they've lost 10 of the last 12 to Tampa Bay. If they could, you know, you know, get points in four or five or six of these games, they're, they're going to be fine. We saw last year what Carter Verhage could do in a limited role. He's getting a bigger role right now with the Panthers. Was that the intention early on, uh, George, when you when you had a chance to look at Verhage? And are you surprised so far by his production? I think when they signed him uh, as a free agent, we were like, well, the reason they signed this guy is because they think that he can really 
They think he can play, and they think that with an expanded role, he's just going to take off. Now it's up to him, right? And when camp opened, they you know they put him up on the second line. So from day one, they were giving him top six minutes with that opportunity, and he ran with it. I mean, so give Carter Verhage full credit here. Um, you know, he he had an opportunity here in Florida, and and some guys ran with it, and some guys didn't, and he most certainly did. And, and, and with, you know, when the season starts, he's on the first line because they were so impressed by what he was doing in camp. So um, now he's getting a real good chance. He's tied for the team lead with six goals. Um, you know, he's got nothing but great things to say about Tampa, as he should. I mean, that was, a, that, you know, everybody knows what kind of situation the Lightning were in last year. Uh, were, you know, over the summer with the, with the salary cap and all that stuff. Carter Verhage had a good year last year as a rookie with the Lightning. You know, they couldn't afford him. So he comes to Florida. Florida benefits from that, but so does Carter Verhage. So um, he, he's been terrific for him, just terrific. Some people have made the comparison similar to what we saw yep. with Jonathan Marcia. So do you buy that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I you know, it, it, you know the whole Tampa Bay thing for sure. You know, you know, March, Marchy comes over here same idea with the Panthers they're like just wait till you till we give this guy an opportunity he couldn't find any playing time in Tampa for obvious reasons Tampa Bay is just loaded and there's no room to move in that in that lineup the Panthers felt that Jonathan March so when given a chance was going to light it up and they they felt similarly about Carter Verhage so yeah they're different players um but you know, there are some similarities. Intentional or just a coincidence? I noticed there's four former Lightning players on this roster. It's not a huge amount, but enough to, you know, make you say, okay, that's interesting. Strawman, Gudis, Conley, and of course for Hagen. If Conley's not playing as much, and we can get into him in just a bit, but is there something to be said for trying to get some guys on uh, a team who used or a team they used to play for who's considered one of the best? Eh, I don't know. I, I think if they were going after Stamkos or something, sure. I mean, it's been a while since Gudis was there. You know, it's, you know, yes, I mean, Strollman was there, you know, two years ago, um, you know, but, but it's been a real long time since Brett Conley was there. So I, I don't think so. I think that that just kind of worked its way um, around. I think with Gudis, it was more of, you know, we need to add some toughness and we've all seen how, you know, what, what, you know, Redco Gudis brings. Sure. Um, the Panthers have really liked his defensive play. I mean, he is, he's, he's a, he's a pretty good player right now. I mean, he's, he's good positionally. He's, he's, he's clearing the puck. He's, he's shooting the puck. He's getting up in the play. So they've been very, very happy with the play of Radko Gudis, and it's had really nothing to do with him hitting people. So, well, um, you know, but he's still doing that. So it's in, I think it's he actually leads the league in uh, hits per game. But um, I don't know if there's anything to that, but anything that you can get from the Tampa Bay organization to rub off. I know the Panthers as an organization look at Tampa and uh, with, you know, and want to try and emulate them a little bit. Um, but as far as the on-ice product, I, I, I don't know. Our producer, Steve Ersnick, brought up a good point in the previous segment, George, when he said, you know, these rivalries that the Lightning have had over the years with other teams, you've had a player that you really disliked. And yep. I get the sense Gudis can be that guy. We have seen him throughout the course of his career. He is not afraid to hit you, and sometimes it's legal and sometimes it's not. Yeah, he's that player that that you know that you, you know the, the team he's on always defends, and the other thirty teams 
absolutely despise, right? Um, I, I think that that Gudis is that guy. I mean, you know, when he's in Philadelphia, the Philadelphia, oh no, he's just tough, and then everybody else, oh, he's dirty as heck, you know, that kind of thing. And I think we heard that when he was in Tampa. Um, yeah, so he definitely is a guy that can get under your skin and and will tick off the opposing, you know, team. And like you said, with these rivalries, playing three games in a row, if this yeah. if, if there's some games that get dirty or it gets ugly at times, yeah, maybe it carries over. It, you know, it, it could be fun. You're playing the same team eight times in a year. There, there's going to be opportunities now for, for some games to really get 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 crazy, and, and maybe that works its way out. George Richards covers the Panthers for FloridaHockeyNow.com. George, every time you and I have talked about the Panthers, we've always said, look, their top six is really, really good, but it's the bottom six they've always – had some problems addressing. Is that the same this year? Do you feel like they've gotten better at, at you know having some depth scoring, or is it still a work in progress? Well, they haven't gotten the depth scoring, but I think they've gotten some real good play out of the bottom six. Um, you know, that's you know every coach talks about they want to roll four lines, and and then you you know you're in the third period of a game and you don't see those guys at all. Um, and I think that's really true with, with Joel Quinville. I mean, he, he goes with his, you know, top six heavy in, in the third period of a game. Um, but this year, he's definitely been rolling those four lines. And I think, he, you know, he likes what he's got out of that fourth line. They've been rotating the fourth left wing position um, between a variety of players. Um, but, you know, Nolachari guy that scored 20 goals last year kind of a fluky thing that you know we, you don't expect 20 goals out of your your fourth line center and, and he was playing up on the top line at, at times last year um he hasn't scored yet um the scoring hasn't been there from from those bottom six guys uh at two loose darnan has got a couple goals but for the most part they haven't gotten anything out of that but they have been very responsible they have been pretty good um, getting, you know, holding puck possession and things like that. So the Panthers have liked what they've gotten out of their bottom six this year. Why has Brett Conley not been in the lineup as much as he would like? Again, going back to, to, to offensive production, you look at Brett Conley, and that's one reason why he was brought in here. He had 19 goals last year for the Panthers. But if you look closer, um, 12 of those goals came in the first two months of the season. So the Panthers weren't really all that thrilled with how Brett Connolly finished last season. Um, he did score a goal in their last game before the COVID shutdown against St. Louis, but that, but that was like his first goal in like 10 or 12 games. And so he, you know, if he's not scoring, you know, you need something else. And they just aren't feeling that Brett Connolly's been bringing that. Now, I, I did notice him. Um, he got back in the lineup Tuesday night um, against Detroit, and you did notice him. He was hitting people. He was going for pucks in the corner. He was he was very active. And guess what? Yesterday at practice, you know, there's Brett Connolly back on the ice with with the fourth line. So it looks like Brett Connolly's going to play tonight against Tampa Bay. Um, and maybe the message has been sent that this is what we need from you. If you're not going to score, we need you to do other stuff um, and, and not just kind of not be or you know not be in the picture so um we'll we'll have to see but i think that you know that that's what brett Conley's gonna have to do to stay in this lineup it seems like anthony declare is getting chances he's not finishing concerns there or do you think it's it's just a matter of time before he starts lighting the lamp we think it's just a matter of time i mean my gosh the guy is constantly at the net um 
you know, the, the, the absolute burner speed that he's got when he picks up the puck, he's going in. Um, one of these days, the puck's going to go in. I, I couldn't look, he could have had three goals in the first period against, you know, Tuesday night. He had one where the puck just, you know, rolled across the goal line, um, and over to the half wall, just unbelievable. There was no one there and it just rolled, you know, one of those, we've seen it happen. Um, and we've seen players in that situation where the puck just won't go in the net. Um, they're going to start going for, for Anthony Declare. Um, again, he's a kind of a streaky player. He had 23 last year with Ottawa, but only two in the final couple months of the season. So it's been almost a year since he scored an NHL goal. Ottawa didn't go to the bubble last year. So they shut it down early. Um, so the, there is some concern maybe about a confidence issue there. Uh, but, you know, I, I think Joel Quinville's just like, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep pushing. Sometimes it's easier said than done. But, uh, yeah, they, they figure it's going to come. There's something to be said for when your former team gives up on you and trades you, especially if you're a veteran guy that motivates you to have a good season for your new team. And I think – is that what we're finding out with Patrick Hornquist? Because I think he was probably a little ticked off that the Penguins traded him. Veteran guy, has had a, a lot of wear and tear on that body, but he's gotten off to a pretty good start, George, and he's a guy that when you talk about team toughness, staying in front of the net, and being physical, he certainly brings that. Where is he right now, and are you surprised at his production? I'm, I'm a little surprised about his production. I, when you look at six goals from Patrick Hornquist, I don't think a whole lot of people would have thought that. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think his feelings were hurt. I, I think he felt like he was such a big part of that Pittsburgh Penguins organization um, that when they traded him, you know, when they they called him to say, "Hey, you need to trade your no, you need to waive your no trade to go to Florida," and there was a point of contention there because it, initially he wasn't going to do it, and I think he finally said to himself, "You know what? Pittsburgh doesn't want me. Florida does." He talked to Bill Zito. Bill Zito gave him the sales pitch and said, dude, we need you down here. You're exactly the guy we need. We need a big, tough guy. And maybe that kind of got him going because he's come down here with just infectious enthusiasm. Um, this is not a guy that, that that's coming down here to retire or anything like that. I mean, the guy just, you know, uses his body down in front of the net you know, all the goals he's gotten, except for one, his first goal, he fired it off from the wall, somehow got through traffic, but the rest of them have been down low. Tuesday's goal is a perfect Patrick Hornquist goal. It's a power play. He's in front, two guys on him. He's bouncing off him. Big shot from Aaron Ekblad goes off his chest and deflects over the goalie. I mean, and that's, you know, that's Patrick Hornquist, and that's what you need. And the Panthers have not had that. They haven't had anybody that would go to the front of the net and stay there. Maybe guys would flash in and out, but nobody that would go down there and box people out, put bodies on body. And he's been a great on and off the ice influence on this Panther team. What did you make of the Keith Yandel situation? I mean, we kind of read about it here in terms of his, what, consecutive games play. There was some talk he was going to be benched, and then he wasn't. And uh, I guess they weren't happy with his play, per se. And uh, I guess uh, when that all went down, the next game he responded, scored a goal. What do you what do you make of the Yandel situation playing uh, every day, consecutive games, still uh, going pretty strong, and, and where his play is right now? 
Well, I, I think his play is what his play's always been. He's an offensive defenseman um, who, who struggles a little bit, you know, in his own zone when it comes to playing defense. Um, and, and, and I think they're keeping an eye on that. But he's such a big part of the power play, which right now is, you know, you know, ranked up there, you know, number one in the league. If it was yesterday, I haven't looked today, but I'm sure it is. Um, he's such a big part of that. Um, he is a terrific puck mover. Um, he's he's paired up with Gudis right now, um, but there are some def- defensive defense deficiencies, which have always been there with with you know with Keith Yandel. You know what you've got with Keith Yandel. He does what he does well, um, and, and that's offensive play. And you know, I, I think that he's gonna he's gonna stay in the lineup for now, and we'll just see what happens. Two more questions for you. We've seen postponements throughout the NHL. Florida certainly at times has been affected by that. Uh, George, do you think 56 games is still something the league is going to attain, or do you feel like that's going to be tough to do with uh, a lot of these postponements? No, I think they're going to play the 56. I think I think you know at worst they'll they'll add a week into the into the season. I, I don't know. I, I think some teams, yeah, maybe they are going to have to go to, you know you know, 54 for some teams and go by point percentage. I don't know, but I think the league is going to try to get their 56. And then lastly, what's it been like with fans in the stands? I know it's going to be uh, weird. Tampa Bay coming off playing Nashville where we saw it and the players basically said that, you know, they noticed it, but once they started playing, it, it really wasn't uh, a factor. And you're only talking about a small percentage of it, but what, what do you make of uh, the fans in the stands down at sunrise and have the players appreciated that? Uh, yeah, the fans have the fans have liked it. I, th- I think the the players have liked it. There's a little bit of noise. They're still pumping in the fake stuff, but um, you know, it, it's been good. It's been good. George, appreciate it, man. Thank you for your time. All right, bud. We'll see ya. All right, there he goes. That is uh, George Richards joining us here on the program, and always appreciate him coming on. You can check out his work, and again, George has been covering this team for a long, long time, floridahockeynow.com, and he does uh, great work breaking down the Florida Panthers. You want to react to anything he had to say? You can at Greg Lanelli, Carter Verhage, impressing, no doubt. Patrick Hornfist making a difference for sure, and we'll talk more about it when we return. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Rivalries, rivalries, rivalries. What does it mean to you? Who is Tampa Bay's biggest rival right now in the National Hockey League? And what's the potential of Florida being their most engaged rival out there? I don't know. We'll find out. I think it's a start. And what we're going to see tonight hopefully is the start of a nice, physical, nasty relationship between the two teams. By the way, when these two teams play, and the Lightning have dominated. Let's be very clear about it. Uh, they've won nine of their last ten against Florida, scoring five or more goals in seven of those games. So, I mean, we could see another really high-scoring game, and you know, coaches pull their hairs out because of that. But that's entertaining hockey. And if you're starting to see some fans in the stands with Florida bringing people to the gate, I didn't really <laughs> get on George too much about the attendance, because we know sometimes it's an issue even when there are no restrictions down at Sunrise. But I I think it is nice to have the fans in the stands. They should be treated to a pretty entertaining game. 
I wonder how many anytime... Lightning fans will be in attendance. Ooh. Maybe and Actually, maybe more Saturday than tonight, potentially. That's a good question, Steve. But how many, because they can't see the games here, will make the, the venture down to Sunrise? Maybe we should tweet that out. If you're a Lightning fan, are you going to go to games down at Sunrise? Now, yeah, to your point, I don't know. Are there restrictions? Can anybody go? I mean, who who knows? I mean, obviously, it's in the state of Florida, so it's not like you have to you know, quarantine if you're <laughs> somewhere else. But that would be a lot of fun, actually. I think that's a I – mean, I was thinking about this the other day, too, Steve. During normal years, we see fans down there for the games. We do. Uh, we see know. more Lightning fans than we do Panther yeah, fans, so. even in their home building. I was thinking about this, too. Because I, I get a lot of questions. You get a lot of questions about this. When are they going to allow fans in the stands at Amelie Arena? Do you get the sense, because this is, this is kind of where I am, that we're going to get through this week. We had the Super Bowl celebration. What was it? Yesterday. And that was a lot of fun. That maybe by next week, they, they kind of look at some things and look at the data, look at any trends with COVID, whether it's spiking or not. I wouldn't be surprised if there's fans in the building in a couple of weeks. So when they initially announced that they were not going to have fans in the stands, they said that would be they would evaluate or through February 5th, which was what last Friday. They haven't made an announcement yet, but there's what a game Monday and then they're on the road again for three more. So they're not back to the 24th at that point. So uh, just spitballing here is, you know, maybe on the 24th you start to see fans back in the stands. And if so, you're probably going to hear an announcement in the next couple days, if not early next week. Um, you know, I don't know that's going to happen. I, I don't have any inside info. But if, you know, seeing how, what did I see, New York City now, their uh, venues are going to allow 10% capacity. Which is uh, hilarious, up. by the way, but that's for another show. Um, <laughs> you know, so you're going to start seeing more, more markets doing this as the vaccines are starting to roll out and the COVID numbers are going down. Now, you know, everyone was worried that the Super Bowl is a super spreader event. Time will tell on that. But, you know, overall, the numbers have been going down here as well as many other places. So, um, you know, potentially maybe on uh, they start that homestand on the 24th, maybe there'll be fans in the stands. Well, and I was just thinking about the other day of if you're somebody going to the first lightning game, whenever that is. It's got to be a little bit of a surreal moment, Steve. I was talking about this with my wife the other day. We were going off for a walk and just how upside down the world feels like right now. And it's just, even though Florida, for the most part, is open, there are other states that kind of aren't. And, you know, there are still people that are hesitant to go outside. And there are still people who just, it, it doesn't feel right. And, you know, to go to a sporting event, you would feel like is one of the more normal things to do in America. And the fact that we've had no fans in the stands for just about a year, when that finally does happen, I'm wondering for those in attendance, even for us, Steve, when we're calling the games and we see people in the building, that is going to, even if it's only 3,000 people, it's going to feel like a big deal, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it is. I've been to a couple games where they're having people in the stands. I went to a Bucks game this year. Uh, they were, what, you know, 20,000, 18,000 yeah. at a game. Um, and I, I was at a couple Raptors games uh, where they had fans in the stands before Emily Arena decided to stop having fans. So, um, granted, the Raptors was a little different because most of the people there weren't necessarily Raptors fans. It was kind of, you know, almost a neutral site type game feel to it. But there was fans in the stands. Um, it definitely feels more normal, even if it's limited, than playing games without any fans, which does seem weird. I mean, it's, you know, we do the radio broadcast, and, and as long as you keep your headphones on, because we've got, 
You've got the ice effects you hear, but you also have the synthetic crowd that they have in your headphones. It kind of feels normal. And as soon as you take those headphones off, it's really weird. It's eerie. It is, it's, it's very eerie. And you know what it is, too? I think maybe more so for Lightning fans is because your team won the Stanley Cup. You haven't had a chance to properly mm-hmm. root for them and cheer for them. And I think when that first night allows fans to be present – it might only be 3,000. I don't know what that number is going to be, but it's going to feel like 20,000 in the building. I think people are going to be really emotional. I think the, I think the players are going to love it because, let's face it, again, it's the Stanley Cup champs. Haven't had a chance to really embrace anybody outside of the party that we had, you know, the parade. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how many of the players remember that day, Steve. <laughs> so, you know, for a game... I think just an opportunity, even after the game, just to skate around center ice and do a little stick tap and, and wave to the fans, that's going to seem uh, so odd. But I, I, I want that to get back to being the new normal, and, and hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. Well, we saw the Bucks boat parade yesterday, and of course the Lightning had theirs at the end of September yeah. last year. And I think the fans' reaction was even more than a normal parade because most of the fans hadn't seen the Bucks all season. Uh, the fans hadn't seen the Lightning's whole Stanley Cup run because they were in bubbles up in mm-hmm. you know, Toronto and then Edmonton. Um, I, I think you saw a, a different reaction at the parades than even a, a normal parade. Not that you know the normal parades are fantastic and great and, and the reaction's awesome, but you know so many of these fans didn't get a chance to see Tom Brady all year or Rob Gronkowski or they didn't see the, the Lightning Stanley Cup run. And, and so those parades, even though the attempts to social distance and do it differently to protect the players and, and kind of the boat parade is to kind of keep them further away from everybody for, for COVID reasons and that. But I think the fans reactions were, you know, so unique and different because they didn't get to share in it the way they normally do that. You know, normally when your team wins a championship, you're there the whole way with them. And you know, this one was purely, you know, the bucks did have some fans in the stands, but it was a limit. You mentioned the boat parades. I'm curious. Do you think that's something that stays with the celebrations moving forward? I would love to see that stay here. In I mean, how cool, I think is, it's so how cool, cool is that? I thought I thought both of the, the parades were so cool to watch and to, to see and, and so unique to Tampa. I mean, you know, a Miami could do something similar, and there's a few cities that could, but many couldn't do that. Um, just so uniquely Tampa, so different, so... I thought it was. I thought they're fantastic. I thought. I mean, and, you know, and if both we the could, Lightning and the, the Bucks did tremendous jobs. And I was thinking about this, Steve, from a radio perspective. How would we cover that? Because I think that could we go on the boats? You know, is there a way they could set it up? I mean, uh, with you know the internet and and wireless, might be a little more feasible. But that would be really cool. Could you imagine Mish and Espo on a boat <laughs> with those guys? <laughs> I saw, could you imagine Phil Esposito on a boat with the Lightning players or just in their own separate boat? And, oh, my goodness, I think I, I would pay to have that broadcast everywhere. What do you think? I, don't, it, I mean, I mean it, logistically, it, there there is some issues with, yeah. you know, how you can pull that off with the way we do radio. Um you know, as far as being remote in the water and, and internet connections, obviously there's no hardline internet connections, which is always preferred right. for what we do um, to make sure that you don't have dropouts and stuff like that. But could you do some stuff from boats? Sure, you could. That would be incredible. 
That might be same. Th- that might be something that uh, hopefully, if Lightning win another cup, we can we can do that with everybody else. At Greg Lanelli on Twitter, if you want to get involved in the show, he is Steve Versnick. George Richards joined us in the previous segment, and you know it was it was interesting because when you look at the Florida Panthers and the roster, they do have some talented players. I mean, get outside of Barkov and Huberto. We we know how good they are. Those are two of the best players in the game. Barkov, as we've said before, one of the probably top 10 players uh, offensively and defensively at the forward position. But Duclair, Hornquist, Verhage, those are guys that can be really good role players. And let's face it, folks, if you're going to win a cup this year, if you're going to win a cup in the salary cap era, you can't just roll two lines. You've got to get production from your third and fourth lines. I I don't know if Hornquist will be a top six for the Panthers throughout the year. Um, He was really productive, you know, when he could play uh, with Crosby in Pittsburgh and just go to the front of the net. Um, But then at times we saw him play on a third line, too, where he made a lot of his money was on the power play, giving them a physical presence. And that might be something we see from here on out from him. But if you don't have contributions from your bottom six, that makes it real hard. And honestly, I think that's one of the things that separates Tampa Bay from a lot of teams. It's not necessarily the Stamkoses and and the points and the Kucherovs, although those guys are fantastic. What separates Tampa Bay from just about every team in the National Hockey League is their third line probably could be a second line on most teams. The Blake Coleman line, I can't understand understate enough how good they have been. You have Yanni Gord, who is a, a former 20-goal scorer along with Coleman, and then Goodrow, who those guys not only are fast, they play chippy, but they can also contribute offensively. And then you have a guy like Matthew Joseph. He, if he continues his play the way we've seen the last couple of days, chipping in here and there, along with Pat Maroon, who is starting to pick up some points. And that is something, too, to keep an eye on because we've talked about this before. You know, whether they go 11-7, and 12-6, and six, you know, you're going 12-6, and six, and at times, if you had Mitchell Stevens and Pat Maroon playing early on this year, you weren't getting much production offensively. Maroon, you know what he can do for the playoffs, and that's basically why he's here. But it is good to see him contribute offensively uh, right now, and he's doing that along with Joseph. The question is, who do you have on that other side? We've discussed this at times. Is Jamel Smith somebody that's going to get an opportunity down the road? He may. But I think right now, Volkov is given that opportunity, and you want to see him run with it just a bit. But I think that is what separates Tampa Bay, even with a team like the Panthers, who are improved. It is their depth with their bottom six. And as I said before, I think Tampa Bay's third line might be the best in the National Hockey League, considering all they do on a regular basis at Greg Linnelli on Twitter at bolts radio. Steve asked a really good question and it might be more for this weekend, but it, it could be for tonight. Who knows? I mean, let's face it, folks. A lot of people have flexibility with their work schedules today because people are working from home. I'm curious, would you make the trip down to sunrise and watch the game today? I mean, if you haven't watched the lightning play in about a year, this is the Stanley cup champs and you're in a position where you can A, take that time off, and B, you know, you're not as concerned about going to a live sporting event as somebody else, are you going? I think, to me, that would be a really fascinating thing to uh, hear from you to discuss what you're going to be doing right now because I think a lot of people still are a little hesitant and especially going to somebody else's building to watch a game. But again, it's here in Sunrise, and you have an opportunity to see the Tampa Bay Lightning in person. I think a lot of people would maybe jump at that opportunity to do it. 
And uh, it's a good question that Steve asked. I'm curious uh, where you are with that. At Greg Linelli, hit us up there if you'd like. We saw um, a couple of games that were postponed um, over the weekend. And uh, Vegas and Anaheim looks like they're going to play after some positive tests as well. We keep asking the question because I, I do think it's not only fascinating to discuss if the league will be able to get 56 games in, but what certain teams do not playing the 56 games and having to make up for lost time, so to speak. And it's one of the reasons why we've talked about how this early in the season, you want to win as many games as possible. And you've heard my position on this. I I do not think most teams are going to get their 56 games in. I think there are going to be a bunch of teams that maybe get 54, 52, maybe even a little less than that, because I just think the schedule is going to be so condensed that the league's going to have to look at all of it and say, okay, um, you know, we've given ourselves some pad time on the back end of the schedule, but we also want to be cognizant of the fact that we don't want to have these guys playing a ton of hockey in a short amount of time uh, once the playoffs are near. So I'm curious with all of these postponements that we have seen, if you still feel like that is reasonable to believe that, you know, Vegas and Anaheim playing even after some positive tests, which I think is is also an interesting storyline. But if you think these teams are going to continue to do it, I mean, basically what happened with Vegas, they had some players that were pulled for Tuesday night's game. And even though those tests came up positive, they're going to be okay to play tonight. And I think some people look at that and say, well, you know, is, is that going to be the precedent moving forward? Because remember, one of the things we discussed was, you know, if you have a bunch of guys who test positive, one, do you have to take another test to make sure that that's legit? Because how many times have we seen the positive test turn out to be negative and vice versa? But also, too, if you've got five or six guys who test positive, at what point do you power through and still play the games rather than postpone it? I mean, up to this point, the the NHL has postponed 34 this season and 25 in February. And they have adopted additional COVID-19 preventative measures February 4th. So we'll see if those measures help. You've heard my take on it as well. I think that the two biggest things that people want you to do, which is masks and social distancing, you really can't do that when you're playing hockey. And so the other stuff, I think, becomes a little like window dressing. But, I mean you're going to try and and prevent an outbreak as much as you can within reason. But as I said before, if you if the goal is to finish the the season with 56 games, I think you have to be a little bit more flexible with how you go about responding to outbreaks with COVID-19 and and the positive tests because to me you've already made the decision that guys are going to test positive because the way the game is played. I mean, if you really were wanting to cut down on on positive cases, you just wouldn't play this year. Well, I think some uh, of those, some of those, you know, whether to postpone or not, goes back to a lot of the contact tracing that they do, and you know how much exposure guys had with each other, and that you know it's more complicated than just positive test, cancel games. You know, no, you know, negative tests we play. I mean, right. it's there, and and you know that's why they created a taxi squad in this is so that 
we don't, you know, that the For league sure. wouldn't have to cancel a game just because a player tests positive. Now, if there's a good chance that player was exposed, they were in a meeting room, maskless with other players, and and then they want to, you know, do some extra tests and wait on that. That that's part of that contact tracing, or if it's. You know, if they're pretty certain the player got it from outside and, and hasn't had a lot of exposure, massless, et cetera, in closed spaces with other players, then, you know, that player's out and they can continue on. I mean, that's that's my understanding of and you're right. it's not just as simple as positive tests, we stop sure. or or keep going. It's There's a lot of contact tracing that goes into it as well. Contact tracing and, you know, again, Getting better testing, I think, is, is something the league is striving for, and hopefully mm-hmm. that just continues uh, throughout. But we do know there's going to be a game tonight. It's going to be the Lightning and Panthers at 7 o'clock. Pre-game's at 6.30. Brian Burns and Kaylee Chelios will be on the airwaves at 6. And thanks to George Richards, who joined us in that previous segment. We'll be with you again tomorrow starting at noon. And, Steve, thank you for all your help. We'll be uh, back in the saddle tonight bringing you Lightning and Panthers. I am Greg Linnelli. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.